we spoke last time about the concept of God that we believe in and how we define the God that Jews believe in and distinguish it from a different God. Um, we mentioned that you may call it Allah as long as you're referring to what we refer to and saying we refer to God, then we are talking about the same God and there's no problem with that. There are a few more points about our definition of God, which is a um, very important pieces in the puzzle. In other words, what other points about God do we believe in as far as fundamental uh, emuna of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? What are the points that flow into that um, description of God? Last time we described the, the core definition as existence in itself and something that needs nothing else to uh, exist. But there are other properties that are sort of corollaries that flow out of it and are very important elements. They're also very relevant when discussing God. <coughs> Let's take the Rambam's primary Nakuda, that God is not corporal. God does not have a guf. Now, there has been, uh, every so often, there's a flurry of scholarly activity proving or claiming to prove that X or Y or Z, there was such a belief. There is nothing written specifically by anyone of standing in the Rishonim that would argue on this point. There's simply vague references to those who think not like that. The Rambam is very passionate about it. The Rived, um says in Hagar something about Tovim and the Rabim, great, bigger people who didn't believe that way. We don't know who it means. It's very hard to believe that some of that existed. We don't have any written sheetas of that. And the truth is, it is almost a logical impossibility. Because if we're to ask ourselves, the core of Judaism is the distinction between Avodah to Judaism, and, and a, a, um, a most, an unbiased reading of the Sefer Torah in its most natural way makes it very clear that Avodah is the big no-no. Um, the Rambam believes that that's the core of all mitzvahs. But whatever it may be, it's clear from reading the Chumash in a simple and intelligent way that Avodah Zarah is, um, is the antithesis of Klal Yisrael, its beliefs, and the Emes. Um, the game of, if, if, if God was another corpus, another entity, so we're playing back to the game. Is it Baal? Is it Vishnu? Is it Hashem? That's just, a, that's just a question of name game, um, and that's it, it, it defeating the entire point of what the Torah is saying. The Torah is saying, Lorisim Kol all concrete, physical idols are pure Sheker, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is something different. So the Rambam, if you look carefully, even the oneness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a result of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's incorporeality. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not part of a system that is, fits any of the 
um, attributes that we could possibly define. It's certainly not hands, feet, physical entities, but even um, activities. Any word that we can use to describe anything in this world cannot be used to describe Akadosh Baruch Hu. Um, question? So, I mean, maybe we can get towards this, but what does it mean when it says, for example, by Sidon, that by Yom Kir Hashem Eshugofri on... So, um, the question's been asked, you find Sukim um, where Akadosh Baruch Hu says he will do something, by Yom Much more difficult than that, isn't it? Ram himself speaks about it, is it says, Vayeshev Hashem Lamishpat. You find plenty of terms describing HaKadosh Baruch Hu it with human terms. Um, that we'll see in a second. But the basic definition of HaKadosh Baruch Hu as not fitting into any physical um, description that we could give. That is a very important episode in understanding HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If you want to, logically, it's a corollary to the first point. Because anything that, w- that, that we can define physically is the result of something. And um, things have some sort of physical, um, th- the, basic laws that, th- th- the basic law that applies to anything physical, that anything I experience, is a cause and effect. So that is something which does not apply to Akarish Baruch Hu. The second point that does not apply to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or the second title which describes HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Ein Sof, meaning boundless. Boundless, again, it's one of those words where we're using it in the negative rather than the positive. Um, I once heard somebody in Meshatorah many years ago was telling me that he pondered the idea of an infinite God and he thinks he finally understands what infinite is. I told him, either you hopefully you're fooling yourself, or else you've gone off the brink. And there is no such thing as infinite that the human mind can understand, because by definition, the mind can only understand things that have some sort of definition, some sort of defining quality, not an infinite quality. Um, it's just like a computer can't deal with infinite. It can only reach a point, and a, computer, a wise computer with a good algorithm can say, problem unsolvable because it leads to an infinite amount of steps. But um, there is no such thing as grasping infinity because human mind grasps things that have some sort of feature, of some sort of limiting feature, and it doesn't. The word and the um, many of the <coughs> Kabbalah's farm, uh, the Gra also um, writes very clearly that the word Ein Sof is not a description of God, but it's rather a limitation on the terminology we may use vis-a-vis God. Um, if we are to put, we cannot make a statement about a Kaddish Baruch Hu which applies um, which applies any limits to him. So to, to say a Baruch Hu could not even the idea that if we do enough Averis, HaKadosh Baruch Hu cannot redeem us is also wrong in this light. There are no cannots. So we cannot use the term cannot as regards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the word infinite is not a picture of Hashem, but it's a rule in, the, in what we may or may not use in terms of describing HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So any feature which will put some limit 
is not, it cannot be used. So therefore, Akadosh Baruch is called Yochel. Akadosh Baruch knows everything because it, that's also seen as a corollary of um, in, of being infinite. Um, anything, all the descriptions of Akadosh Baruch that carried in English the word Omni to it, but it's omniscient or omnipotent, etc., are all terms that emanate from this principle, that by limiting it, you are giving it some sort of corpus, uh, not a corpus physically, but a corpus in terms of um, being. The angels, for instance, the Rambam says, are defined, not they're not physical beings, but they are defined via their the limit of their abilities. So, for instance, Rafael can heal people, but A, only if God says so, and Rafael cannot bring Pinosa. Gavriel can punish people, but only if HaKadosh Baruch sent him to, and only punish people and not heal people, for instance, and etc. So, we have a very clear distinction between anything and HaKadosh Baruch HaKadosh Baruch has no limits, and... Uh, uh, and every, everything else, including angels, are defined by their limits. The, um, the Rambam says that a Kaddish Baruch Hu's unity, which is, seems to be in the Psukim, our core definition of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, the oneness of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, which I'd like to address separately, but as far as a list of descriptions of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, the Rambam defines it as a corollary of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's incorporeality. And, and in the argument he uses as follows. If there are two, then each one must be a defined entity. For instance, if two people look exactly alike, I have Chaim, Reuven and Shimon who look exactly alike. And they're twins, identical twins, and I have a very hard time distinguishing them. So, um, somebody will say, if you look very carefully, there's some sort of freckle on Reuven's back ear, and so on. Or, if, if I can't even find any freckles, I'll tell him, Reuven is the fellow standing in the right-hand corner, Shimon is the fellow standing in the left-hand corner. They're occupying different areas in time and in place. I can shoot Reuven and Shimon will be alive, I can shoot Shimon and Reuven will be alive. So, limits of time and space create two. But if I say there are two types of justice, and justice A and justice B are identical, then that sentence doesn't mean anything. I'm saying, um, I take two identical books of justice, law books, and I say this is justice A and this is B, it doesn't mean anything. They're exactly the same. If I cannot distinguish, and the word distinguish means placing some limit on one or the other, some sort of definition, again, the word fine, fin, which means a, a boundary, a border, some sort of aspect of um, limit, I cannot define two. So when I speak of two gods, then I am not, then I am either speaking of some sort of limitations, or I'm just playing with words. The Ramban in his argument um, with the Galochim, uh, with the Christians, when, and again, it's hard to learn exact things from these things. You don't know which of it was said 
um, when he speaks about Chazal and so on, you always have to take these type of dialogues um, with caution, whether they express a real opinion or a sort of lishitoscha opinion or, you know, you know, with, 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 uh, with the might and the military on the side of the Galachim, you kind of be, you tread softly. But one point he makes is about the Trinity. And he says, either or, either the Holy Son, the Son and the Holy Spirit and God can have an argument and they can, you know, they can kind of sort of come to blows, divine blows, where one doesn't agree with the other, one differs than the other, one is, is, is somewhere other, and then you've defined three beings and it's not one, and it's, and it's the antithesis of what the Torah says, or you're playing a game. If, uh, you know, if, if I decide to play a spiel and it's called Ruvain, sometimes Ruvain 1, sometimes Ruvain 2, sometimes Ruvain 3, it's semantics. So make up your mind. It, if, if, if they can be distinguished, if you can say that um, there is some distinction between one and the other, then you have three. If there is no distinction, then you're playing with words. Um, uh, or you're defining different characteristics of one entity, and once again, you don't have to be real beings. But that's the point. So the, the Rambam... The Rambam um, presents Achtus as being one of the corollaries of incorporeality. So when we speak about a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and this is one of our limiting f- features, w- the type of arguments um, that I understand better than God, when I argue with a person, even if he's much, 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 much smarter than me, I assume that there's a limit to that person's smartness, and there may be a point, I can make a point, um, whereas if God is not limited, then any type of I got you God type of stuff, which is very common by PR looking um, rabbis, um, you know, I argued with him and I pressed him to the wall and I said, how could you do it and so on and so forth, either or, either I don't believe in, in Hashem, that's a valid conclusionary argument, but this idea where he's a person to play with, and I can, you know, I could, you know, I could best him in an argument, so to speak, is rubbish. Yes? So, according to the Rambam's definition of, or how is defining Achtos here, like one, then, yeah. then is Hashem the only real one there is in the world? Yes. In other words, the, I could, reality, this ties back to the very first um, point that we made last time. Akadosh Baruch Hu is the only thing that exists, and everything else, like the Rambam says, is a borrowed existence. So, in in the end of the days, the the the, the two the two points kind of fit one scheme. Akadosh Baruch Hu is everything, and anything that perceives itself as existing and having its own existence and being a entity and self-reflecting, those are all granted from God, but they're not um, they're not absolute. Now, one more point that is very relevant. So we've defined Akarish Baruch Hu as his absoluteness, which includes many, many absolute features. And um, it, it, that includes the oneness, the, in, the incorporality, which is the root of all of it. There's one more point that the Rambam makes about it, which is a very, very important point. And this is already a step further, which is... Akarish um, Baruch is Elokei Ha'olam, Adon Kol Ha'aretz. Akarish Baruch is the force 
it, in, in creation he re, he retained his his role his all-encompassing role is within the world as well in other words what we will call hashkocha meaning akarish who has inserted himself into the mechanics of the world has chosen to run the world although subtly and one more Kyla which is important just the Ram doesn't quite say it here but it's going to be important in the bigger picture that the definition of morality is HaKadosh Baruch it's a point we're going to be speaking about later but I, when we're doing with the package that's part of, of, of it HaKadosh Baruch Hu's self is the incorporality the existence the all-encompassing etc the infinite aspect HaKadosh Baruch Hu has within creation which is something that sees itself as being um, separate and individually existent, and Akashpoho allows that sense to exist, but he is behind events that are occurring, and morality is defined in terms of Akashpoho. So Akashpoho is the absolute morality, and everything's morality, the quality of morality is measured vis a vis Those are the important characteristics. Defining a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Maybe yes. Maybe really, maybe really a player. I don't know what it means when you say that Hashem is the ultimate reality, morality. Okay, so so um, I d- it is a point that I wanted to devote maybe possibly a shit itself a being ultimate morality. Um, my feeling is that when the Rambam uses a double lashon, Hamotzi Azeh Hu Alekeha Olam Adon Kol Aretz, the concept of Adon means the ability. Um, the, the the right of authority, meaning that his say so is the say so. It's it's an issue when we deal with what is morality and so on. Um, we need to to discuss it. I just wanted to bring it in at this point, so we have a, a complete picture. Mm-hmm. The problem I would say with all of this is there there are two major problems. First of all, um, how do we deal with the mass amount of Sukim, etc., that seem to indicate otherwise, where um, God is described in very human terms. One. Two, if we don't know what we're talking about, how can we talk about it? Um, if you come to a, a, to a scientist, an honest scientist, and you say, I would like to propose that there exists um, gebaks, and he says, okay, I'm a scientist, and I, I will be prepared to testing for gabaks. What do gabaks look like? And we say, well, um, they don't, they're invis- totally invisible. So he says, fine, um, I've got some auditory equipment. What do gabaks sound like? And we say, they make no sound. Um, if I go through all of it, the scientist will say, it may or may not exist, but I can't talk intelligently about it. Those are two issues that we need to address because, again, you can't play a game where you define God out of any relative existence and then, um, and, and then uh, talk about it. Manifshach. You can't play the game on both sides. So we come to the, the, the most difficult thing for us to really understand because God's inner existence and, and infiniteness and so on and so forth, um, I can accept there are things that I have no shaykhs to. For instance, we gave a muscle of 
ultraviolet light. I mean, humans can't see it, but um, and I'm fine with it. I, I don't, that the fact that I can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. There are many things I can't see, but God is a very important part of what we are, what we do, and so on and so forth. The Rambam, in a certain sense, puts this question somewhere else. When he speaks about Bechira and Yedia, that's really the core Lemaise issue, where it stops being just the kind of uh, mystical theology and becomes in a very Lemaisitic philosophy. Um, Bechira is the world that we're part of, the sense of the ability to choose, to do, um, the control of our destiny, etc., etc. Akarish Baruch, whose Yedia is the part that relates to his being infinite, and those two worlds meet at a certain point. We're talking about a world where Akadosh Baruch is pulling the strings, and I'm pulling the strings. So, who is the one doing over here? Um, the um, there's a there's a there's a uh, a very very poetic uh, expression by the Breslover, who says that all questions on God come from, if I remember correctly, the Tuma of the black abyss of Bechira. Basically, what it means to say is the only real questions are at the nexus of interaction between the infinite, undefinable, limitless, with the world that is defined, perceived, palpable, and controlled by us through our free will, etc. And the Rambam says that the answer to that question also lays outside perception rather than inside. It's a tough one. In other words, we can sit back and talk about God because what's not part of our world eh, it can sit well with us. I, I, can, I can speak to you about Martians that float at will and um, you know do somersaults across the planet and well, Mars today is not good because we know it's a Mars or it's not a Mars, but the people living in the, the 99th galaxy uh, over, that's fine. I, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's the, the only question will be, uh, by the way, how'd you find out? But other than that, it's, it, it's, it, we, we can accept possibilities outside our realm perception. To live with it day in, day out, with this dual kind of approach where God is everything and we're everything. We're totally responsible. We, we keep pushing ourselves in terms of how much we, you know, everything depends on us, and then we keep saying how much nothing depends on us. That's the tough one. And the Rambam says the answer to that question is part of that world rather than part of our world. It does not have an answer in our world, and therefore it's an invalid question. But that's the real question um, that tests us. So the, the, the interaction we have a problem with. Now, but we do know is that a Kaddish Baruch Hu does interact with us. Yes? Is it okay we're going to go back to that point? Um, what would you like to ask? I'm, I'm willing to pursue it. I mean, that seems to be a very fundamental issue because if you're saying that really we can never talk about how Hashem... If, if Rebbe's saying that the Rambam is saying we can never talk about how there's this interaction between what we perceive as our Bechira our free will and the fact that Hashem is all encompassing that everything is really coming from Hashem so does that mean that the idea is the Ramam saying that the idea that Hashem is really running the show is just supposed to be this sort of intellectual exercise that I just keep in the back of my mind but the Misa since I live in this world and I perceive everything as being 
uh, outcome of my own actions and it's all up to me, so I should always just act as if it's all up to me and just keep in the back of my mind that, you know, there's this idea that really it's all Hashem and my Bechira is just, you know, illusory. And uh, I'll just keep that in mind, but I'm not okay. actually going to do anything. So Pinchas is asking, uh, how do you cope with it? I mean, it, it's, it's relevant. What mindset do I use? I can use a muscle. I can give a muscle for it. Um, in physics, which is supposed to make sense, um, because at the end of the day, it's a science. There was a riddle for years about the nature of light, whether light is a wave or a particle. Um, very simple description is I can, I can cause something to fall in two ways. I can throw a ball at it, and therefore there's a ball that goes from my hand to that, to, to, to that place and knocks over something there. Or I can have a line of people, imagine a line of people tightly packed against each other. And I push the person in front of me, and that causes the person in front of him to push, and the person in front of him to push, until the last person pushes the ball down. It means I have not sent any entity across the distance, but I've transferred energy from me to the guy next to me, the guy next to him, and so on and so forth. It's energy that traveled over a medium. That's what's called a wave. Now, um, there are big differences between the two. Um, for instance, a wave requires people. If I want to knock over something with, with energy, with a wave, I'm going to have to pack it with items, which means a vacuum won't work. Light works like that, uh, sound I'm sorry, works like that, and when you say something, it moves the molecule of air, which moves the next molecule of air, and so on and so forth. If I have packed air, it will come out stronger. If I have a vacuum, it will not come out. Very simple. Light travels through a vacuum, which means it's a particle. But if it's a particle, we have a problem with a polarization effect, um, which basically is um, energy travels in different directions, and if I block one direction, it'll block a certain type of energy, like a po like like um, Polaroid uh, sunglasses. Um, it it and light has that effect. Scientifically, light has many effects of a wave, many effects of a particle, even though those two are really incompatible to our understanding. What we've learned is that we can't solve that problem in a way that's meaningful to us. I mean, yes, we call it, they call it a wavicle, they call it a this, they call it that. The end of the day, what we live with is a duality. Light will exhibit certain properties. It will go through a vacuum. It will be polarized. Um, many uh, different, different types of... Um, depending on um, what the case is, we will categorize as one or the other, even though we really don't understand how it works. There are many, there, there, as, as physics has gone into the, the world, into the small world of the quantum, there are a lot of things that don't, quote-unquote, make sense. We accept it as reality because we see the results of it, and we've learned to live with, um, you know, I know points about it, but the thing in itself as a whole doesn't really make sense. So people can live with it. Basically, Darizal, when asked the question of Pchir versus Yedia, makes um, a, a category up to a certain Olam. Yedia works. From that Olam down, Pchir works. Basically, it means when we analyze, um, when we analyze events, 
we look at Bechir in one way and we look at Yidir in another way. It's something that I do want to refer to later and a lot of its practical ramifications, but, uh, but for now, I, I think that we'll have to do with that. Um, the, those are the... Uh, now, the, the, there is, however, a realm that we can deal with, and this is where the other things come into play. Akarisbar who wants to interact with us in this world, besides dumping us into this world and saying, Kindlach, make the best of it that you can, and I'll be behind the curtain, Akarisbar who wants an interaction with him in this world. Nevua, Besa Migdash, Basko, Lifne Hashem, Hashkachapratis, and so on. That is the arena of religious activities. The relationship between us and Akadosh Baruch Hu has, it's like the tip of the iceberg, which actually is in our world. Those are the areas that the Pasuk uses terms to describe Akadosh Baruch Hu's um, great hand, Akadosh Baruch Hu's sitting lemishpat. That's where the Torah allows itself to use those terms in order to um, describe those activities. In our world, the activity of, um, of showing somebody how bad he's been is called anger. Um, and that's why we use anger. The, the way in which we describe um, a reflection of satisfaction with some of his activities is schok. And, and uh, we can use that, Takarish Baruch Hu, is besimcha, and so on. That's where, and that's how the Ramah explains all those terms. This is a standard explanation, but we're just trying to put it into the context. Akadosh Baruch Hu is described as such in the arena of worldly of worldly interaction with men. By the way, this is also the world of Kabbalah, um, which many people think is a study of God, is wrong. It's almost kfira to say it as such. Um, the reason why Kabbalah was kept away from the masses for many generations was because th- to speak meaningfully about anything, we need to have terminology. Terminology very easily leads to um, a kind of visual imagination. When we speak of God's great hand, somewhere we draw a picture of a hand a big one in our in the back of our minds, and that would be Kfira. Um, the Rav Shemayichoy, when he starts his his major teachings in his Idra, he starts with the or the pasuk of anyone that makes uh, a pestle, tmunas kol, any any type of a physical uh, representation of God, even if it's in our imagination, is Kfira. So Kabbalah deals with the interaction of Akadosh Baruch Hu, the darke ha'anhaga of Akadosh Baruch Hu with the world. It does not deal with Akadosh Baruch Hu because there is no discipline that can deal with Akadosh Baruch Hu. So Akadosh Baruch Hu acts in different ways, and those take on physical terms. They they get split up into ten spheres. But we're talking about very clearly the domain where the two kiss each other where the, the beyond and the here and now touch each other, we can describe what we see on our side of the relationship. So the, um, all the psukim and so on that refer to that type of thing 
are referring to Hanhagas HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and those are spoken of in physical terms. Yes? When you're saying Hanhagas HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you're saying the way we perceive Hashem guiding this world event. Yes. Um, and one of the reasons, for instance, let's take an example. We love people who use a certain picturesque language. It helps get us a, it helps uh, give us a certain sense of, uh, of things. Um, for instance, let's say a person walks into a forest um, and he says, I saw the trees swaying back and forth in prayer. And, and as the wind, as the spirit filled them, as the wind filled them, they seemed to reach upwards trying to loosen themselves from the physical bounds. It, 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 it gives a certain insight that without that metaphor description you wouldn't have. And that's, that's why it is important that we, terminology and, and picturesque terminology will give us uh, insights and feelings that's very hard when, when you're dealing with the intangible. But it's very important to give that balance. I want to add the Rambam. There's a Rambam Mornavuchim that says an extraordinary reason why is it that the Torah uses such terms. Um, the, uh, the Rambam is the big... The Mornavuchim was written not as a general guide to religion. You know, I mean, it, you know, there's many elements there. But the guide to the perplexed, the perplexed of the guy who's perplexed, is that on the one hand the foundation of foundations in Judaism is God's incorporeality on the other hand all of Nevi'im are full of seeming descriptions of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's, that's, the, 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 that's what the Rambam is talking about and the Rambam spends the, big, the biggest part of the Sefer is spent on redefining terms about HaKadosh Baruch Hu and about reiterating this point on and again that this is something even the most feeble-minded of Kaisal, as long as they're Pardas, must believe the total incorporeality of God. So why, so why does the Torah use terms that are um, misleading? And the Raman says something very fascinating. He says, if the Torah would have spoken about using abstract philosophical terms, or refrained at all from using terms, we would also feel that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is not real. It, it's, you know, philosophy is a world of things that don't exist really. So when we say his memory will be with us forever, when a secular person says his memory shall remain with us forever, he basically means as long as there's money to dedicate a scientist to someplace. I, I mean, those are words. Um, he's, he's, oh, the goodness and inspiration has reached out in the world and chased away darkness and ignorance and prejudice. Are words. I mean, they're nice words and they're, they're beautiful words, but they're not real. The, whatever the punishment is in Gehenim, it's real. It's not just a metaphor, the bad that we do will pursue us and give us no rest. There's something that hurts. It's, it's an Ashama hurt, whatever it is, but it's exactly, the, the, a, a fire hurts, and this hurts. Um, and it's very, very real. It may not be physical, but there is emotional pain that's very powerful and very real. Most people commit suicide do it because they can't bear emotional pain rather than physical pain. 
but the Torah needs to needs to come to us not as some sort of philosophical fluff. It needs to come to us as something very real. That's the Rama writes, and that's why the Torah, in choosing the lesser of two evils, um, choosing the lesser of two evils, needed to um, use a term that is physical, and take the risk that we would not relate to its um, to relate it. Emis, make that mistake, rather than reducing the whole Torah to something that's very, very fluffy and vague and so on and so forth. So <coughs> let's uh, sum up a bit some of the things we've spoken about um, that we've said until now. The def- we defined God last time as the core definition is existence without cause, and by correlation, the primary cause for the world. We have um, then gone on to establish some necessary corollaries of that. That is the incorporeality of God. God is not physical in any sense of the word. Nothing about God that translates into a physical term exists. God's um, infiniteness, which is not a measure of greatness, but means simply no words that limit God are correct. God's unity, the way the Rambam explains it, is part of this picture that that you don't have something which is um, many and it does not have limit and a certain sense of corporeality, being that limit and corporeality are kind of interchangeable for the Rambam. The, um, we added that God is the moral essence of the world and it's a point we're going to come back to later when we speak about morality and so on. And then we've explained how do we deal with all those verses um, that seem to imply that the Torah is full of terminology. And even though the the um, keeps saying kaviyochol and sabasaozen and many terms like that, but the Torah uses those terms. So we we explain that they are descriptions not about God they are descriptions about God as he relates to us. The relationship is a relationship that has its own dynamics. It has cause and effect, that relationship, and it's something that we can have a handle on it, maybe not the entire picture, but part of the picture. Those relationships are best described in terms that are human. Uh, first of all, because once we're talking about a relationship, we're talking about something that's already within the context of this world. And secondly, like the Rambam says, to make it a very, very real and imminent uh, uh, entity, not something fluff. Um, I want to add, I want to tell to a Kuzari, when he speaks about Elohim and Havaya, he speaks about the difference between the God of Abraham and the God of Aristotle. Um, very, very moving piece. The Kuzari says, the God of Aristotle is an intellectual construct. Um, it might be a dry truth that Aristotle felt was good, but nobody loved it, nobody gave his life for it, nobody prayed to it. In other words, um, intellectual points may be true or false, but they don't relate to a person. They're not entities with will and 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 the, the word relationship to a person just doesn't exist. 
um, you know, math is full of truths, and we accept it as such, and it's great, but um, those truths are not part of our life. So it's, it's a very, very dry definition of it. The God of Abraham is a living God. It's, it's some, it is, it is the person, another person is the entity that shows us, that wants to relate to us, that wants us to reach out to the emiss and to the tov. And it's a very tough one. It, it's, we have to love the tov and the emiss the way we would um, love a person. We're drawn to it. We're willing to sacrifice our lives for it. Um, and, and, and so on. And, um, and yet, the essence is beyond us. So in that world of relationship, and that's the realm that Kabbalah, and it's the only realm that Kabbalah deals with. And every Kabbalah safe is filled with hakdamis, belief self, don't want to use the word, ain't self, but you sometimes look at it, every, every safe that, that starts out by teaching Kabbalah, there's, there's, a, there's a, a tremendous amount of academics, the chastashon, 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 I'm not talking about God, I'm not talking anything about God, even the word in Sof doesn't describe God, and so on. All of it is for that reason. Because any time we start dealing with these things, it can become chastashon, a conduit for Gorgofta der chastashon. But the point of it is to understand that there is a junction where the two meet, and that's really where our vote is. Yes, business. So along the lines of the Kabbalah find that Kabbalah has done with in terms of, you know, Kapashama not actually talking about God. Right. So, I mean, this might be a silly question, but what's to stop us from sort of worshipping an idol and that we're just sort of worshipping God's hanhaga with this war as opposed to, you know, God himself in quotation marks, I guess. So you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Um, there, it, 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 there are a few, um, it, actually, this point is mentioned, for instance, the Gemara Yavamis says, why is Shabbos, his Uskash, the Besamikdash, is Hukash, the Shabbos, just like Shabbos, you're not in awe of the Shabbos, but of the one who commanded you, because Shabbos is really a non-physical entity, so to Besamikdash, you should be in awe of the one that commanded it, rather than the Besamikdash itself. And um, when you bring Karbanis, it says, Ki'im Lashem Bulvada, Zovech Lalohim Yochram. And Ramban says, any type of, in prayer, which is a direct confrontation with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we have to be meticulous in weeding out any relationship, dealing with anything but the one behind it all. It is a typical thing, um, but part of, uh, that's part of the Avoda, is to focus on the Akkadosh Baruch Hu within it all, and um, despite the fact that it, it's beyond us. There's, there is no, yes, it's a tough one, but that's the Avodah. So that is saying, we're really supposed to be focusing on Hashem, but we don't, we can't really say anything about Hashem. We don't really, right. we can only say what Hashem is not. Right. And, and that's and what we're focusing on. Right. And, and, and the truth is, um, there's a muscle for it, actually, that we can relate to. If there's a person that we like, and a person that we really feel good about, we, it starts with externalities. The person has an attractive appearance. The person is a kind and disposed person. The person is witty. The person is intelligent. The person is understanding. And we relate to him. But we feel there's an ashama behind it, and an ashama is an intangible. But somehow, the person that we really like and we bond with 
Um, we know that it's the neshama, the, the very essence that we're not touching, feeling. Even if I hug a person, the neshama is quote-unquote within that body, but um, you know, the neshama is, is not tangible. But I know that the more I know the person, and the more I put my quote-unquote arms around him, I, I have, I, I'm getting to a deeper part of the person, but I'll never be able to quote-unquote touch base with the neshama. That's, that's reality of it. And yet, uh, we live with it. And uh, we understand that who he is and what he is is a reflection of his inner essence. His inner essence is, will always elude us. That's a difficulty we have, and that's what we have to do with it. Okay.